Hi, I'm here with Jeff Tucker again. Um, he is the editorial director of the American Institute of Economic Research. These guys have been doing some of the best coverage from very early on of the impact of lockdowns and other measures that governments have taken. So, and they're still just highly recommend the site if you're not going there, AIER.com, is dot, dot org, right? Dot org, yeah. Um, they, they're just having you know, phenomenal coverage of the real world impact of these insane policies. And, and they're, again, they're some of the, the first to, to start doing this. And I apologize to everyone. I have to have my phone on because um, my kids are out of their writing lesson and I need to hear if there's if anything goes wrong. So um, welcome to the show again, Jeff. And um, I especially wanted to hear about you guys it ran into some, some I'm going to call it censorship, um, sure. with, with Amazon and I think with, with somebody else. Can you just tell me what happened? Well, it was a number of things. Well, you know, we started writing about this in, in late January. Like, um, I wrote my first article, something about, like, should government save us from the coronavirus? And my answer was no, because there's nothing government can do about a virus. And anything it does do is going to make everything worse. That was basically what I said. And the society contains within itself the capacity to deal intelligently with diseases. And so over the coming months, I I demonstrated that by going through the 1949 polio epidemic, the 1957 uh, Asian flu, the 1968 Hong Kong flu, uh, 2006 bird flu, and so on, and um, sh showed how we've never locked down before. And all the other scholars were very much involved talking about trade policy and this and that and the other thing. So pretty early on, I think it was on April 2nd, imagine that, we came out with our first book on the topic. And, and we had only locked down, the country had only locked down basically on March 16th, uh, following the March 13th promulgation of the central plan from the White House, actually, which is an interesting thing. Like most people think that the lockdowns were entirely state matters, they were done by governors. That's only partially true. Governors could have resisted, very, or some did. But for the most part, the whole thing was inspired, including the school, school closings, by the federal government. Wow, you know what? I I don't think I was aware of that. What, who specifically in the federal government, or what um, what agency? Well, this guy uh, Pence uh -huh. was was put in charge of a like a task force. Okay. But, and the task force worked very quickly to come out with a eighty page, what amounts to like a Soviet style central plan, calling for closing mm -hmm. of schools and the uh, essential versus unessential businesses and and. Uh, closing of mass gatherings, uh, really basically you can, everything that happened to the country you can find in this plan that was issued on March 13th, um, published by the Center for Disease Control. Mm -hmm. um, but really, that plan had been in place since about 2007. So there was already, already the social distancing thing, the targeted layered uh, containments, and uh, all the, the travel restrictions, uh, the uh, everything you can you can think of that was um, let me think yeah it's it was all there um, and, and were there uh, were there penalties in was was there any kind of incentive for going along with this plan or penalties for not going along with it or was it just a pure recommendation were there like federal funds attached to it uh, you know I'm kind of I'm, 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 it's funny you're bringing this up because I'm 
I'm actually think I need to, need to write about this and investigate this more fully because everybody thinks yeah. it's just governors, you know. Right, that's but, what I thought. But, it, but it's, it's just not true. I mean, the, the first CCD quarantine uh, lockdown plan was was in school closure plan was it was 2007. It was and they wanted to deploy it in 2009, but everybody was distracted by the financial crisis and everything. So, mm-hmm. so Pence's task force, all they really did was take the existing structures that CDC had in place and then promulgate that as a national plan. Now, um, there's a strong incentive to go along with what the federal government is is pushing. Uh, it was possible to resist it. Like, I think the only state that fully resisted any of it was South Dakota. And that yeah. was thanks to, yeah. what's her name, Christy Noem or whatever, the great governor there. Yeah. But, but And then other people were a little resistant to it, like South Carolina didn't follow everything. But but I didn't think Christie closed the schools, but everybody closed the schools. And then the central, non-essential, the social distancing language, you know, uh, the closing of mass meetings, that, that was all pushed by the federal government. But, you know, we have an upside down constitution in this country so that um, the states just, you know, kind of go along with the federal government as a matter of risk aversion. So they all, so if you did nothing, basically you fell under the plan. You had to actively resist it to not, not be part of it. Mm-hmm. And then you recall that uh, it was around the same time that, that Trump flipped from from uh, fa- favoring herd immunity. This is not going to be bad. It's bad. It's a, it's a mild disease. To being persuaded by um, Fauci and Neil Ferguson and everything else to to go full lockdown. That's and he implemented his travel restrictions. I think on March thirteenth, the same day as the release of this report. So already, oh, you know, if you if you got a U.S. president, you know, suddenly announcing on his own. You know, can you imagine that Europeans can't travel to the U.S. after Monday, right? So that right, nothing, right. nothing like this was possible was ever conceived of in the whole of uh, American history. Uh, like yeah. we never thought anything like that would be possible. He he did that on his own, issued an executive order, and that that was what set off the crazy, right? So suddenly, mm-hmm. uh, everybody just went nuts. Unless you had a really good head on your shoulders um, and really were willing to put up with, uh, uh, you know, anything that. Um, that people threw at you, you you went into def- uh, lockdown default uh, as a result of the um, and 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 the and the federal government had your back, right? So all the yeah. experts, yeah, all the experts, and so um, anyway, we came out with our full, first book on the topic. It uh, um, was this one, coronavirus, uh, coronavirus and the economic crisis. So um, and that came out. We we posted it on. Uh, April 2nd, and they wouldn't distribute the paperback for, I think it was about 10 days. And wow. they, uh, they just blocked its publication. Finally, they did uh, allow it to be ordered, which is amazing. You can order the physical copy. So we uploaded the Kindle, and they blocked that. They said, nope, got to do it. And their, the excuse was, there was panic all over the country, right? And so you, as you see in the movie Cont- uh, Contagion, we all just tried to reenact the movie, uh, the movie Contagion. If you if you watch the movie, you'll see that everybody said, oh, let's be like Contagion. So one of the things that happens in Contagion is that there's a famous blogger, sort of influencer that comes up with a fake cure, and he's pushing that out there. So suddenly Amazon was, was very interested in stopping uh, that guy from the movie, from mm-hmm. publishing, publishing a book. And, but but, but uh, also Amazon also faced a tremendous crisis at the time because you know, every retail store in the country was entirely closed except for large, big, big box uh, grocery stores. So people yeah. were frantically ordering from Amazon. Meanwhile, because of the panic and the media frenzy, they, they were losing a lot of employees that didn't want to come to work because they were scared of the disease. So they had, they had to rely on 
a much more limited staff in terms of, of publishing. So the easiest solution for them was just to block anything having to do with coronavirus. So everybody's desperate to find out information, especially new, fresh, interesting information. And, and Amazon wouldn't make it available to them. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, unless you were the CDC, you know, you, or, or the World Health Organization, you couldn't, you couldn't get it through. Yeah. Well, um, and I don't, know, I don't know if you saw the piece that I wrote back in September for the Rockwell about censorship of the vaccine conversation. Well, I didn't see that. Because uh, what happened um, back in March of last year, um, Congressman Schiff actually approached Amazon, uh, Amazon, Facebook, Google, I think somebody else, and basically with this letter saying, you guys need to stop being a repository for uh, misinformation about vaccines and misinformation being anything that contradicted the CDC and WHO official lines. Um, and they did start censoring from that point forward. Sure. Um, so I'm sure, you know, what you're describing sounds like it really fits in with that. We're going to be a gatekeeper. We as Amazon are going to be a gatekeeper for the CDC yeah. and WHO. And and it, and and ours didn't become a conscious. But part of the part of the thing, Brittany, about about when you're censored. Um, by the way, at the same time, a lot of the videos we were linking to were taken down from YouTube, including mm-hmm. uh, talks by John Ioannidis, you know, like a serious epidemiologist, you know, right. a, prophet, a prophet among men, and uh, his videos were being removed. Uh, you know, Nobel laureates were being removed. Anybody contradicting. Zuckerberg went on national television and said he'd remove any video that raises questions about social distancing. Okay, social distancing is, uh, how should I say, scientifically unproven. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's kind. That's a very yeah, kind way of saying uh, it's, it. It's, it's a silly word that, that a little girl invented in 2006 to describe her cootie fears. Right. So it's just, so the idea that we can't have a discussion about that is absurd. And then, and then YouTube said they would remove anything that contradicted the WHO. Maybe that, right. maybe that was uh, Facebook that said that. But anyway, it was a kind of all these tech giants all got together and decided to nationalize information flow all at once. Um, and and so, so, so leaving us out. Now, there is a funny aspect to this that I have to slightly tell you about that you make you laugh. Um, the... Uh, so at some point in this, I wrote an article about the Hong Kong flu of, of 1968 and 69. I thought, you know, this is a bad flu. It killed 100,000 Americans. And it was also uh, not as discriminatory as, as, uh, as COVID is. It was, it, was, it was attacking, you know, children and adults and older people. And it was, it was a bad flu. And we got rid of that flu the same way we get rid of every flu through, through herd immunity. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's not... And limited vaccines. I mean, some, some people took the vaccine. The vaccine was available, but most people didn't take it. You know. So, yeah. but I noticed in the course of this research, I thought, you know, what was going on in '68, '69? Well, it was civil rights protests, uh, draft riots. Uh, oh, and Woodstock. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's interesting. So I put it. I put the the title of the article: Woodstock occurred in the in the in the middle of a pandemic, which is true. Yeah. So I discussed it. And meanwhile, Facebook had decided they were going to get rid of fake news. And the way they were going to get rid of fake news was by hiring news agencies to hire fact checkers, right? So, um, and, and so they were, the fact checkers were USA Today, uh, uh, Reuters, and um, what's that, Snopes, and maybe there's a few other, a few other yeah. fact Well, they've got it. There's a, an independent company, too. I can't think 
I can't think of the name of it now, but there's like a new company that's devoted just to, to fact, check, fact yeah. checking. Right. right. Yeah. So it was funny because uh, our article came out and started being shared pretty widely on social media among people that thought, you know, like it connects to something really important. Like, what are we doing here? Like, we've had viruses around for hundreds of thousands of years. But why do we think that suddenly all these new strategies, uh, <laughs> closing schools and social distancing right. and all this, stay-at-home orders, uh, what's the shelter in place? I mean, it's mm-hmm. for bomb rates. What are they talking about? You know, why are we doing all this? And a lot of people are very confused by this. and They don't really quite believe it. So when I said, well, it's very interesting that Woodstock was helping this pandemic, a lot of people were sharing that article. Well, Facebook got a hold of it, and they said, okay, fact-checkers, go, go to work on this. Well, the very first uh, organization to fact-check it was, was Reuters. They fact-checked it and said, okay, this is true. Well, Facebook's algorithms are designed to, uh, during those days, was to only distribute information that uh, fact-checkers say were true. So suddenly, Facebook, this one passes the truth test, is pushing it out to basically every subscriber on the, on the planet Earth, and probably, uh, I think that article got about 40 million reads. Wow. Wow. And, but it was funny then because then, of course, that, that attracted all the lockdowners, of which there are many, uh, who, and, cause, and for, mainly for political reasons. I mean, the reason for the lockdowns, they wanted to destroy Trump's economy. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, so, so suddenly people began to write Reuters and say, that's not true, it's not true. The height of the pandemic was in, in January, then it didn't come back until like November. So really, Woodstock was in August, so it didn't, it didn't happen during the, during the t- top wave. Um, which my response to that is, well, you don't, you only know the waves looking back, you know, <laughs> the virus didn't go right. away. It just, it just peaked, you know, as every flu does in the winter months. Right. So, but there was no sense at the time, like, well, uh, we know that Hong Kong flu is really bad in January, but, but by August it'll be gone. It'll be summer, which is, which is more or less kind of true, but th- th- there was no sense of that at the time. In fact, I've proven this many uh, times over that New York times is warning about the, um, about the virus, you know, a few weeks before, uh, Los Angeles Times ran a, a panicky editorial about the virus a week after, you know, so it did happen in the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, I was right. Mm-hmm. But so Reuters got so much trolling for this that they, they reinvestigated the article. This time they, they called it partially true. <laughs> so partially true, so Facebook's still like, well, we're still going to push it out. But then another week went, got, went by, and now Reuters is like, decided, well, it's partially misleading. So they, 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 they so now Facebook's are, now Facebook's starting to worry. So they start to, to turning off the flow. Uh, but then uh, USA Today came along and said, this is true. <laughs> so I'll start it over again. So, so suddenly Facebook put on my article again. And then about a week later, Snopes came out and said, this is definitely a misleading article. So, you know, and so then they shut it off again. So this is, this is our great American censors. This is how yeah. they it's just they, it was you get the feeling even the Soviet censors would have would have at least been aligned on what their position was. Yeah, I don't it, it was it was the most bizarre thing to be subjected to this uh, to this these funny villainy algorithms and everything that's associated with them, you know. So but we we couldn't still couldn't get our book published. And then it was uh, who's that guy, Peter Bergman or something like that, a former New York Times reporter who's been really good on this. Uh, put out a, a book and Facebook censored that. Elon Musk got word of it, got upset, tweeted at Amazon, said, you guys need to be broken up. You can't be censoring books. I think at that point, Bezos got involved. Bezos said, hey, start publishing books. This is very late. This was only 
three weeks ago, something like that. Oh, wow. And so as a result, his book, previously censored, suddenly went live. And along with it, uh, Amazon now um, uh, uh, allowed for the publications of what probably is a hundreds or even thousands of books that they had deliberately yeah. uh, censored during that time. And at that, about that same time, YouTube started backing off of its, of its takedowns. And so now, but they, but they, but they haven't made live the, the old videos, um, but they've started, they stopped taking down nude ones. So even the first Ioannidis uh, talk in which he, he's a prophet I and mean, he saw exactly. Oh yeah. The, the infection fatality rate, he understood the demographics, he knew uh, the, the problems of forecasting, he laid it all out. That one is still censored. Now, what the way we responded, and a lot of other people responded, is that we, we had to look for other alternatives you know, to YouTube. And so we went to Library, which is a New Hampshire-based blockchain application that runs videos. And we duplicated all of our videos on Library. So then our website started um, embedding... Um, library videos that can't be taken down. It won't be taken down. And so when uh, Newt uh, Witowski, who's a very famous mm -hmm. epidemiologist, yeah. um, when he had a takedown from YouTube, um, the New York Post ran a big article saying, look, Witowski was taken down. Witowski, Witowski was, was taken down. And, but you can still get it at the American Institute for Economic Research because nice. they're running a, a different version from library. So, so we got you know, millions of, of, of views from that. So, nice. so it's, it's been toggling back and forth between the censors and, 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 uh, and the creative types. You know? and, and I think what we've all learned from this is you can't trust the main pipes uh, mm -hmm. anymore. Whereas we used to, we used to think we could. I remember getting warnings about this from a lot of people some years ago. That look, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to trust these third parties. Actually, you know, we need to, we need to control our content. And I've always been a little, probably, over trusting of third parties because I always thought the internet worked, and then there's there would be no censorship. There would not be takedowns. You know, they have their terms of use, but they'll be fair to us and so on. I've always kind of believed that. So I've been, mm -hmm. I've been shocked. I've been completely shocked at the extent to which. Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, Amazon, and and YouTube, Google can um, make you live or die. And and if if all five go after you, um, you might as well be body bagged. So, do you think this is an indictment of free market um, speech platforms? Do you, do you do you think that wow, maybe maybe this really should be regulated by the government? Well, I think the problem is, in fact, that it, that it is regulated by the government. Mm -hmm. uh, they, all these companies are very, very large, and they have very lob big lobbying firms in Washington, and they're working hand-in-glove with the state, which is kind of what you do when you get that big. Like, all these companies, when they were small, were all started with a libertarian anarchist spirit. Oh, we've yeah. got the, the internet. We don't need government anymore. But government comes after, after them. They're, they're blackmailed, they're, they're, and, uh, and so suddenly they, they realize that to play they had to join the game. So they're all basically not on a database, day-to-day -day basis. They're not an extension of the federal government, but in the event of a crisis, they will always go along. And we know this. I don't care if it's war, pandemics, uh, financial crisis. Uh, they will become tools of the state. We know this as a result of this experience. And it's, it's, a, it's a shock, right? We used to think that the Internet would free us. Now it's just become a vast machine for, for censorship when it, at the very time it really matters. In Brittany, it was hard in those days too because 
you know, I was devastated to find um, in the early days of the pandemic that that libertarians themselves were seem to be unprepared uh, for how to deal with it and go along with it. And so there was this spooky silence that fell over what what used to be called the the so-called liberty movement, which Mm -hmm. we used to have a big infrastructure of the liberty movement, you know, this organization, that organization, that organization, this conference, that conference. And we, and and people thought it was like a big, a big intellectually robust movement, but it turns out not to be, you know, the pandemic comes along, suddenly they either went silent or they actually went uh, uh, lending their voices to pro-lockdown forces. So- And why do you think that is? Um, I think that there's confusion. They just didn't, had never really thought about how liberty works in a pandemic. So, and they just got scared. And uh, and 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 quite frankly, there's there's you know the world's there's a huge shortage in the world of people with with moral courage, and and people just like to play it safe. And so that's what happened. All these great radicals <laughs> suddenly decided, well. Maybe liberty doesn't work in this case, you know? Yeah. Um, and so they just kind of shut up because they didn't have anything to say, and they were scared to say what they did say. And uh, risk aversion uh, prevailed over uh, into intellectual sophistication and moral courage. And the result was that the so-called liberty movement shrunk down to just uh, a handful of us, you know, like practically overnight. And now people are coming out of there. Houses a little bit, and, and so, I was against it all along. Yes, of course. I, <laughs> well, I also noticed, um, you know, because I've been writing about health issues for a little while, I notice among a lot of libertarians. I don't want to. I don't like to paint with too broad a brush, but there is sort of a, a confusion about what science is, and there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of attributing. Um, credibility to, you know, the CDC or the WHO, because they're these established, they're they're seen as authorities, even within libertarian circles, which baffles me. I I can't understand how you would imagine that, you know, a a government agency is somehow, somehow disinterested or is, um, you know, this objective scientific voice. But I feel like that trust whatever trust there was in libertarian circles of, you know, of of government sanctioned science voices has been eroded a little bit. Do you think so? I I think public trust in all official institutions is, is is probably at at an all time low. That's awesome. Um, I don't, I don't think that it's obvious from the polls because nobody tells the truth to pollsters, but one of the reasons that Donald Henderson, um, the world's great, greatest epidemiologist and the man who is singularly responsible for uh, crushing uh, smallpox around the world, actually. Um, he wrote the article that you guys republished, the, the older article you republished about handling an epidemic um, without government from like yeah. the early 2000s or something? 2006. It was, 2006 a resp- okay. it was a response to the very first modeling Mm-hmm. Uh, lockdown, social distancing, targeted uh, layered containment bullshit. So, yeah. sorry for my language. Yeah. Um, so Donald Henderson wrote that. And what he says at the end, he said, you know, you, uh, you don't want to do this. Don't go there. Um, what you need more than anything else is social uh, function. You need society to be not disrupted. And if you do this, you will discredit public health authority and officials for a generation. 
and that's, that's what's great, happened. but that's fantastic. I mean, that's the silver lining. Is no, I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah, I I don't know, Brittany. I uh, it's it's very upsetting to me because um, it's it's not just government and public health officials who have been discredited that have been, but but there's been a kind of a nihilism too that's been unleashed. Yeah. That's also leading to the toppling yeah. statues and the rioting in the streets, and yeah. so with with one goes everything else. Like once things become tremendously disorderly, then the even the private private governance is right. Most people don't make that distinction between yeah. And state the other thing yeah. that's right. And the other thing that's really sad is that is that during the lockdowns, uh, the, the 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 system of 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 private institutions that would normally service so well um, either got co-opted by the state or shut down actually aggressively. Mm-hmm. And so then all we're left with is n- no functioning private sector mm-hmm. or, or, or a very limited functioning private sector, a completely discredited public sector, and and then stay-home orders that just give everybody cap and fever and make them want to uh, get out and do things. So it was kind of the worst of all worlds. You know, you destroy the thing that 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 works replace it with the thing that doesn't work yeah and and you expect people to put up with it you know and here we're three months later we're surrounded by the carnage that's just what happens yeah um do you think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better well so i'm such a natural optimist but i realized (laughs) something terrible um that often i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I, I thought. So there's a very funny passage in 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 Albert Camus' book, The Plague, uh, in which he says, "Because you know, the, it's a wonderful book. Unlike COVID nineteen, this is an actual plague. <laughs> so, uh, but but people still get crazy, right? Yeah. Um, people in a plague um, lose good sense. They just." Um, they walk around thinking everybody's diseased and they don't know what to do. So they hop around like a grasshopper and they hide inside their basements and so on. Um, and he said, he says in there that he said that the smart people, whether it's in a war or a plague, always look at what's going on and say, there's no way this is going to last because it's too stupid. <laughs> but he says, smart people are always shocked at yeah. how persistent. Yep. Stupid can be. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. how I felt ever since this thing began. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, incredulity. I mean, like if I were going to estimate, you know, without any ability to provide evidence for this at all, I would say about a third of the American public at this point doesn't believe a word uh, coming from from any public health official or government at this point, um, mm-hmm. because they got to constantly contradict themselves and and. Um, and I think it's been devastating, actually, for Trump because mm-hmm. uh, because tr- Trump is in a pretty good position on COVID in February, January, and February, but he flipped and he endorsed lockdowns and travel restrictions and everything else. Now, then he then he argued for a, a, a reopening, and then once the country started reopening, he actually condemned the reopening states and said this is happening too fast. And now on the campaign trail, he's saying utterly preposterous things. He stands up in front of his followers, most of whom uh, think that this is a mild pandemic that should have focused our mitigation efforts primarily on the on the aged and with, uh, yeah. with uh, 
underlying health issues, people with low, low life expectancy and left everybody else alone, which is, it seems like perfectly obvious to me that nothing was accomplished through any of the closures uh, of anything. And uh, so, and most of his followers understand that because we've been able to get the word out. You know, people are not, people are doing their own research and, and, and yeah. it. So, uh, so he stands up there and he said, look, we locked down, I didn't want to, but we locked down the country, but because we locked down the country, we saved his most recent numbers, um, hilarious, four million lives. Oh my now, God. <laughs> there's no way you can get to four million. Two million was absurd and has been shown to be absurd. And I mean, that modeling has been ripped apart. And right. but let's just double it. Let's, yeah. So Trump's now saying four million lives. So he gets no applause. You know, people, people stand there <laughs> going, all right, that's nonsense. So if you want to know why his poll numbers are sinking, I mean, mm-hmm. they began to sink the day he came up for lockdowns because that, mm. that's, not, that's not who Trump is. And that's not why his supporters like him. They like him because they think he stands up to uh, right. the people right. who try to control their lives. And so suddenly he's become, you know, the, the owner of the lockdowns. And, 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 and so as a result, his poll numbers are, are sinking and he doesn't seem to understand that. Wow. So it's, it's really a, a, a been a disaster. And then, and then just two days ago, or just yesterday, um, to to extend the 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 end of H one B and J one. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, uh, visas. That's... Uh, you know is a devastating attack on the American commercial society. It's a devastating yeah. attack, and the Chamber of Commerce, which has been mostly silent for the last three months during the lockdowns, they shouldn't have been. They were, you know, they at least got brave on this one and spoke out very passionately against it, which I think. That means that he that Trump is in danger of losing even the support of the commercial uh, sector. Mm. So, Maybe he'll realize that. I don't know. You know, it's like Camus, right? It's like, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's at last. It's too stupid, <laughs> right? Well, and that's just it. You guys just you guys had this article. Um, I don't remember who wrote it. The the good guys are winning piece, where you mm-hmm. go through all the you know the things that have been knocked down and. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at it rationally, when you look at the debate, you look at how the Neil Ferguson models are just have been trashed because they were trash and how the scaremongering, you know, when it when you hold it up to the standard of reason, it all really falls apart. Mm-hmm. But I think those of us who think that reason prevails, I think maybe that's our flaw. That's that's the mistake we're making is thinking that in the real world, it's reason that's going to prevail and that's not what we're seeing. Do you, do you feel like our whole worldview of, of, you know, believing in reason and trying to make things make sense, is that just, is there any point? I, I will ask myself that question many times, but I just don't know, I don't know what else we can do. You know, yeah. all we can do is continue. And, and I do think we've made a difference. I mean, there's a reason why our website traffic is more or less tied with, tied with The Economist um, magazine. Awesome. Right so awesome. I think we've had an effect. I think we're working very closely <clears throat> uh, in a little dance with the Wall Street Journal on saying things we're kind of pushing them to be more radical all the time. I mean, I don't know. We just have to get, get in there and fix people's ideas about things. I think, Virginia, it's actually the funniest thing. I think like a lot of this is a result of, of an astonishing public ignorance towards uh, both math, right? So like mm-hmm. even, even right now, people don't understand what a case fatality ratio is. And, and that, you know, new cases uh, does not mean uh, new deaths. You know, right. uh, it doesn't mean that the virus is getting ser- serious. It means it's getting less serious, right? So, yeah. 
Um, so just things like that. And so people can't follow even uh, the, the first level mathematics on this. They're just thoroughly confused. But the, the other thing that's been, I, I've been mostly intrigued by this whole thing is how there seem to be like, this is like a knowledge gap between generations. Like, like my mother's generation, mm -hmm. she is, she's now, she's almost 80 years old now, 80. And she learned about viruses in school. And but what I say, what I mean by learned about viruses is that you learn that a virus is this um, a thing that we've been doing a deadly dance with now for hundreds of thousands of years, and that that our our bodies have evolved with the the ability to, to confront them. So uh, they're always out there, and you can't get away from them. All you can do is 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 strengthen your immune system, right? And uh, very conventionally, there are two ways to strengthen the immune system. One, well, there's one way to strengthen the immune system, which is natural immunity. So you get it, and you get strong, and you avoid it. Um, then there's a way to hack the immune system with um, with vaccines um, that give you some element of of the thing, and then your body is kind of gets a, a head start. And I know you have your own views on vaccines. I do. I don't. I'm not an epidemiologist, so I can't. My own guess is that they, they, they should only be used in, in the most extreme situations, smallpox, polio, that sort of thing. But, you know, I'm, there's also, I'm sure, downsides to that too. But, but the best way is natural immunities. Regardless of your position of vaccines, every book on biochemistry will tell you that uh, immunity and uh, herd immunity is the way to kill a virus and protect yourself from it. Um, and my mother understood this. My father understood this because their parents were taught this coming back from World War II. So, so basically the chronology, as I understand it, it goes like this. 1918, a uh, flu pandemic was a disaster. Millions of Americans died. And a lot of places locked down. San Francisco, Chicago, New York, mm -hmm. and everybody. It, it, was, it was like Camus, right? Everybody like, was in a freak out. And, and the scientific establishment in America said that's, that's it's not a good way. Freaking out is not the way to deal with the virus. That freak out and panic is not... The, the path forward. So in the 1930s, um, there was a fully worked out theory of, of viruses really for the first time, distinguishing them from bacterial infections. And so, so there was an, and, and, and even now we have very few uh, ways to, to deal with uh, viruses. Uh, scientists, have, medical scientists have discovered very few uh, things that, that help us deal with, with viruses. Mostly they just have to run the course. Uh, there's, so there's Tamiflu and there's a few other things, but it's, it's, it's very limited. And, and if you can deal with the virus and you, know, and you, can, you can push through it two, three, four days a week, um, you'll, you'll emerge from that feeling like a million bucks. So that's, that's really the ideal uh, way. If, if, this, if, it's, if it's potentially fatal for you, you want to get away from it yeah. as, as best as possible, if you can. It's very yeah. limited. Let everybody else develop herd immunity. Yeah, otherwise the herd immunity, the theory of herd immunity comes out in the 1950s and 1970s. But anyway, after World War II, there was a, tr a tremendous effort on the part of uh, American public schools and American health officials and um, newspapers and journalists to do a number of things. One was to provide universal virus education so people stop being afraid. Oh, interesting. And so that we would learn about immune systems and, and uh, we would develop a different attitude towards diseases. And so that generation learned to, when their children got sick, to, to celebrate, say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry you 
looks like you've got the flu. Looks like you've got chicken pox. Right. The, the, the Brady Bunch episode, the famous Brady Bunch episode. Oh, chicken pox. I didn't know when that. They, the whole family gets measles and it's like oh. one at a time and they're like checking it off and like, yay, we're done with that. And yeah. and now, you know, now it's become this big political football. We can't right. talk about measles that way. And so we have to go back and. Right. I didn't yeah. see that one. But yeah, that's that was that generation's attitude. Yeah. It was uh, it was get get sick, get strong, move on. Uh, that was, mm-hmm. to, if you want to sum it up, which is a little counterintuitive. Yeah. <clears throat> so it takes yeah. education. So so that generation of public school, they learned about it, they learned about science, and the, and, and the journalists also were on board with this. So mm-hmm. 1957, 1968, the New York Times barely reported on the Hong Kong flu, barely reported on the Asian flu. And and basically they had a toil as well. So we, there's a flu uh, here, and uh, it could be bad. But the thing is that there's nothing that panicking or getting weird about this is going to accomplish. You need to go to the doctor if you're sick and otherwise trust your public health officials and let's let's move on with our lives. That was what they said. Wow. So that was that was then. You know, that was then and, and so that was the scientific attitude, but it was a result of a concerted effort on the part of public uh, public health uh, authorities and officials to to really educate and calm people down and help people understand. So something happened uh, as we folded now into the 21st century and a new generation, and my mother's generation's dying out, um, and there's was, there was a knowledge gap. So, so suddenly you have vast numbers of people who don't, don't know anything about virus history. They, all they know is that, but I'll tell you what somebody uh, here at AIR told me. Um, she's probably 21 or something like that now. Because I was asking, I said, well, you know, what did you think when this came along? Why did, why did you panic? And she said, well, in my life, this is really the very first important thing that ever happened. And so I wanted to do, I was kind of excited that something wow. that interesting was happening. And I felt, yeah, and I felt like it was my job to, um, wow. to, to, to go along. And so she became, you know, oh, I'll stay in my house and I'm saving humanity wow. by, by locking down and, and that sort of thing. And I, I had a much more cavalier attitude. And like, I was actually unaware of the extent of public ignorance about this. So, you know, I was tweeting things like, oh, I'm headed out to create herd immunity. You stay-at-homers are, are killing people by... I saw that. I saw that. Belonging the which, you know, which was a f- funny. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, was, I, was, it was, I was kind of being... It was it's like a, a lot of my writings. It's like, it's like yeah. serious but not true but fake. And, you know, like funny but serious. You know, it's like yeah, some yeah. in between. But but next thing you know, obviously you know, like I just slammed. I couldn't believe the amount of of outrage uh, towards that tweet, and it was so. And and yeah. and if you tweet something that 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 gets that amount of attention, uh, you can't uh, you can't delete it because yeah. then that self becomes. So I had to leave it up, you know. So yeah. And also, I don't entirely regret it, you know. But uh, well, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have done that because nobody wants to deal with that level of controversy. I was just trying to say something. Well, the thing is that there's there's such a huge conversation behind that statement. You know, sure. it's not. It's it's and, and I've written about this too. It's sort of the the philosophical divide between the people who understand how viruses work and who right. appreciate the immune system. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in virus theory, it's um, or in, in epidemiology, it's um, germ theory versus terrain theory. And germ theory is kind of, it's, it's, I see it more as a spectrum. At one end is full-on germ theory where you're totally at the mercy of this germ. There's nothing you can do. There's, you know, your, your immune system is powerless and these germs just 
there are these invaders that we have to stop at all costs. The other end of that is, no, I've got a strong immune system. I have ways of boosting my immune system. I can fight this off, develop herd immunity, and you know, be be stronger for it. So, that's it's, so interesting. I didn't. The, I don't think I was even aware of that. I, I just recently read uh, uh, bi- a, a microbiology for for dummies, and I just quoted the relevant sections. So I'm just I, like, whatever the case, whether whichever theory you you have, there's no question. Everybody agrees that that the only way to fight a, a virus is is through uh, immunities, right? Uh, you may not have to get it, but a yeah. lot of people do have to get it in order to protect you. And that was a phenomenon, as I understand it, that was discovered basically in the 1950s. And, you know, like you take 10 people, um, uh, three of them uh, don't get sick at all, uh, seven of them do. And then uh, even though there's no immunities among the three, uh, they, they're protected from it once the virus, as they say, burns right. itself out. Yeah, right? it burns itself out. It doesn't have the, the right. sort of habitat. One thing, this is a total, total side, going off on a side topic, but one thing, um, you know, as, as far as protecting an individual from, um, from the ill effects of, of the virus, one thing that has been found, I mean, there are a bunch of different things, but one is that um, high levels of vitamin D seem yeah. to be protective. So, which, you know, it seems obvious to, to again, to anybody who, who has, has a grounding in, in the immune system, it's like, well, yeah, that's something your body needs, vitamin C also, yeah. there are these things your body needs. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, you talk about this knowledge gap between generations. I, I suspect that that's the result of something deliberate, and I'm not sure when it happened. But now when you look at, now what I see is a knowledge gap between scientists, between real scientists like Newt Witkowski and epidemiologists who understand what you're talking about, and the public. And the mediator for that I see as being, you know, the media. Because when you look at the message that, you know, the New York Times or the Washington Post is putting out about viruses and about our immune system, it's completely the opposite. You know, it's, it's, it's the fear. It's you need to be afraid of this. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and they don't even want to talk about it. They're, they're talking about it. The press has just been egregious. One that you like to talk about good things that have happened during, we should all reflect on good things that have happened to us over the last three months. The best thing that's happened to me over the last three months is I'm completely lost my news addiction. For, for 30 years, I was, I was obsessed with news. I would like to listen to hours of news a day. Read. And, and, and ever since this began, I suddenly realized this is all fake. Like there's not a word of it that I can trust, That's awesome. and, and 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 I just shut it down because it was so ridiculous, and I've not turned it back on. Now I've got a that new awesome. awareness <laughs> that these are all just entertainers, and and that you can't trust a single word of it. Like every day now, so I have new cases in Georgia, new cases in Texas. Can we turn it up? And and the numbers they throw out, so it's like 433, 871. In fact, there's a funny trick you are, are listening. The Google to. trick. Yeah, the, I just type I just, type I three numbers in and. And new yeah. cases, and it's hilarious. I don't, I don't know what to make of that, but yeah, <laughs> but it's all fake science. And anyway, news, ca- new cases, it's, it's actually good news. You know, so the people don't understand yeah. the tally. So, so anyway, I've lost my addiction to the, to the news, but the press has just been grotesquely irresponsible. And yeah. another thing I always like to point out to people: this is the day I turned off the news. It was the actually it's not true. I turned mm-hmm. it off about a week later, but. February 28th, New York Times podcast, uh, reporter Daniel McNeil uh, predicted that, that 
the number of Americans who will die from COVID-19 is 8.25 million. Oh, my God. 8.25 million. Or, as he said, six of your friends. <laughs> True story. Wow. And as a week later, I shut down my, uh, my Google Home and never turned it back on. So it's been so grotesquely irresponsible. Some people blame the 24-hour news cycle, which I think is pretty interesting to uh, blame that, and maybe there's some truth to it. I don't know, but I do know that, that in the old days, the press was much more responsible, and doctors were more responsible. And I do think it's interesting, Brittany, I will tell you this, because I know you're kind of, everybody's dabbling in conspiracy theory right now, and I try not to, um, but... When you see the dissidents out there, and there are plenty, you know, the Ionitis is actually a rare exception of a, of a uh, epidemiologist currently employed in a, in a university epidemiological department. He's the, he's the exception. But for the most part, they're independent authors. They're uh, Nobel laureates that, 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 are, that are retired. They're retired. They're medical doctors. This sort of thing. The silence, the deafening silence, is from... Uh, departments of epidemiology uh, at major universities. Uh, they've been, well, you've got, of course, the Imperial College problem. Oxford has been much better than Imperial College, but Imperial College. But, but there's a lot of, lot of serious scholars on this stuff that have just gone either silent mm-hmm. or they've lent their voices uh, to the cause of lockdown. And I wonder to what extent this is related to uh, funding from the Gates Foundation. So I, I bet a lot of it is. Um, Bill Gates is a hopelessly ignorant. You know, you and I are talking oh about God. viruses, and stuff, but if you watch one of his YouTube um, uh, videos on this, the guy is a blooming idiot. I mean, he decided to throw a billion dollars after uh, to to virus mitigation without even one time discovering what a virus is or how it works. I mean, he doesn't. He literally knows nothing. He thinks it's like. Oh, in the future, our battle will not be against missiles. It'll be against microbes. It'll be not against nations. It will be against diseases. So he, he's right. acting like, like these viruses are volitional figures. Uh, mm-hmm. that, well, that and also they, as if humanity well, hasn't been dealing with them for thousands of years and already right. have the tools, especially in the modern world. You know, it's, it's, it's a different story in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, they don't have all the tools that we have, but we certainly have, you know, without Bill Gates' billions of dollars, we certainly have the tools to yeah. deal with what has been around for thousands of years. Thousands of years, we have, we have, we have, we have hospitals, we have doctors, we have, mm-hmm. we have uh, mitigation efforts. I mean, this is very interesting when I think back how my parents used to deal with um, <laughs> viruses when I was a kid, you know, it was... Uh, Celebrate me, put me in bed, cover me up with blankets, put bricks in my chest, run a humidifier in the room, which now we take drugs for that. But humidifiers are really good because they help release the mucus in your nose and stuff. And and, uh, and let the fever run unless it gets too high, in which case you dunk, you dunk, you dunk the child in the bathtub and so yeah, on. Nice bath, yeah. Uh, and, and, and now, um, I think, did you say ice bath? Well, that's, yeah, that's a, bath, a bathtub and throw ice in there. That's what we used to do. Wow, that's hardcore. Um, uh, we didn't do that. She ran a tepid bath, and it still felt, uh, <laughs> your mom was nor- nicer. <laughs> nor- <laughs> anyway, and it does reduce the fever. Ice bath. Whew. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, that's tough. But, um, but I, I, think, I think what's happened, look, I'm just speculating here, but I think what's happened over the last 20 or 30 years is that people have just come to rely fundamentally on uh, the doctors to fix everything. That could be the way. Our medical systems became so, before Obamacare, right? I mean, oh, yeah. there, there yeah. was an urgent care on every street, you know, and we had decent health care, and, and it only cost $30 to go. And so you get sniffles, you go to the doctor, you, know, you get a coffee, you go to the doctor. You get, so we depend on them. It's like placebo effect, right? So yeah. we, we just began to depend on our doctors. So, so we, we started making ourselves stupid. Um, mm. viruses and we decided that we didn't need to understand anything that we're going to outsource our understanding to uh, professionals and um, in fact there's a funny article Brittany that, that appeared uh, in the New York Times it, it kind of made me laugh um, uh, you, during the lockdowns everybody was afraid of the doctor they stopped going to the doctor yes. one thing the hospitals started, stopped accepting uh, elective surgeries but, but generally, people were told to stay home. And, and then they didn't want to go to the doctor because they were afraid they had COVID. And if they had COVID, then, then, then it would end up in the newspapers and, and they would go into quarantine and then they would contact trace and then all your friends would be right. uh, tested. And so it, it all became... So people just got scared of the doctor. They stopped going. And there's an article in the New York Times yesterday that said that it's, it's just funny that there's, there's not been any um, increase in... Uh, and the downsides in, in disease or in unhealthiness mm -hmm. or anything else. It's like, yeah. yeah. So, and so people are saying in a, in a funny way, I, and I suspected this during the lockdown, that our over-reliance on the medical system was about right. to come to an end. That would be awesome if it did. One, one data point there is um, this just came out that um, in one subgroup of the population, basically infants, um, the mortality rate has actually dropped and yeah and that's maybe having something look and again i can't talk to you about the vaccine question but then, there, yeah. what, there there is a uh, a report that came out a few days ago that in particular sudden infant death syndrome has has plummeted oh see i haven't seen the sids numbers yet i'm really yeah, interested the to SIDS see numbers that. that they've fallen and there was open speculation i think in the new york Times yeah. had something to do with uh because people stopped getting vaccines so um, I mean, yeah. well, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna need to take a look at that. Yeah, just look uh, for 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 your sake. I mean, you'll, you'll be very interested in these numbers. Right? Oh yeah. I, well, I, I, what I'll be interested in is how they try and spin it. You know, how do, how are they going to try and? I mean, to to me, at least in the realm of the narrative, and I'm not just about vaccines, but about sort of the whole, the way we see medicine, um, and the way we see our own immune systems. To me, I see the pharmacological sort of narrative crumbling before our eyes and the reliance on, you know, the quote unquote experts, the reliance on the CDC and the WHO, it's crumbling. I mean, it has been even since, even before COVID, but, you know, again, I, I, I tend to be optimistic in the same way that you are that, oh my God, yes, you know, we've been, you know, we've been proven right, or, you know, their narrative is crumbling, therefore we're going to win, doesn't necessarily follow, you know, it's, it's like this. Well, what people need to do is they need to educate themselves. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Uh, we've been trying to do that ourselves. It's like, why should it come fall to the American Institute for Economic Research to do this? Uh, and people complain to us, why don't you stay in your lane? Why don't you stay in economics? Well, I tell you why, because the uh, public health professionals didn't stay in their lane. Yeah. 
they they're jumping all they're shutting our businesses they're closing mm-hmm. our schools they told us not to go to church on Easter Sunday they're telling, telling us to stay in our homes because that impacts profoundly the capacity for human beings to cooperate uh, within a commercial setting they shut our farmers markets all right so they didn't stay in their lane so at some point we're going to have to jump into their lane and and what I do is I just go to uh, basic uh, textbooks on on viruses and quote what they're saying and and just to, I try to help people. Understand, it's making a difference. I'm getting some really good correspondence these days. Um, I got an interesting guy in my Twitter feed. I, I love it when people are accidentally express humility on, on social media. Uh, but this guy said, look, I was one of those people who just got scared. Um, mm. In mid-March, I was terrified. And uh, I just thought I was going to get sick and die. And then he said, about three weeks later, I thought, I don't know, this is not really the way I want to live life. I'm depressed. I'm not around anybody. Either is this really the way you deal with a virus? And began to look around and like re-educated himself and then got bold and got out. And, and now he's completely on the other side. I think that's happened to a mm-hmm. lot of people. But a lot of people mm-hmm. are really tricked and lied to. And I think that's, it is the great trauma of our generation. There's no question about it. And, and so, yes, true that some people are still leaning in, but far fewer than, do you remember what it was like two months ago? Oh, my God. Lockdown, lockdown, uh, obey the government. It's just the greatest thing ever. Now you don't see that so much. Um, and there's a lot of incredu- incred- incredulity towards uh, our governors. One of the one of my things that I like to do to entertain myself is go to the Twitter feed of the Massachusetts governor, oh, which is which, which is just a dumpster fire. You know, <laughs> every, every post there's like a thousand people saying, "Shut up, you jerk! Open my gym!" You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Bill Gates posts if he ever posts online to say. Oh, thing. is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty hilarious. Have, has he been? Have you heard any statements from him? On like, he created this hell. Yeah, I haven't um try to think. I haven't heard any statements lately. I'm also inundated with stuff. I'm I'm still reading through things from like weeks ago. So um but no, I haven't I haven't seen anything directly from him lately. Um I mean he probably doesn't need to say anything directly. I I, I don't think he understood entirely what he was going to unleash. I think this is a guy who always believed that computers would solve everything. Right. And who created Windows. Let's, <laughs> let's remember that. That was a mighty achievement. Um, <laughs> in his day. Um, the, the, uh, but but I, I, th- I think he believed in computers. And so suddenly, you know, you confront a virus. What you're confronting is a force of nature. And a force of nature doesn't obey borders. And it doesn't obey... Um, judges and it doesn't care about elections and it doesn't care about politicians and bombs and all these other things that um, are so um, important to politicians and it doesn't care, care about your computer forecasts you know so I don't think you know we live in an age of of control and particularly state control when everybody thinks everything can be solved by, by governments and in a funny way I mean will we say in a year we needed this to happen to us so that we can understand the limits of power, the limits of planning, the limits of public authority. Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe we needed this to happen to us just so we could get disabused of ourselves, of our outrageous arrogance, that, uh, that we can control the invisible enemy with, with, with uh, speeches, pronouncements, executive orders. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I need to let you go in a minute because we've gone okay. gone over. But the okay. what keeps occurring to me, I, I hope you're I hope you're right that we we as you know the collective all of society we do learn that lesson. 
But I feel like the, the bigger lesson is that, you know, this time around, this is a virus. This is something, you know, human beings have been dealing with forever and ever. Um, it's not, the, the threat was so exaggerated in the beginning that that's, that part of it's obvious. What happens when there's, when there is something legitimately terrifying confronting us? Are we still, I know you and I are not, but is much of humanity still going to say, oh, this time we need government to come in and, and solve it for us? Or are they going to have learned the real lesson, which is that even in a real crisis, not a manufactured crisis, but even in a real crisis, centralized decision-making is still the stupidest thing you can possibly do. Well, you know, I think one analogy we can look to is to understand what happens on coastal uh, towns during hurricanes, okay? So um, every season, uh, the news media says, this is the mother of all storms and it's headed straight towards us. Um, Board up your home and get out. And first-time residents always do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second year, they do it a little bit. By the third year, they're like, I'm not going to be tricked this time. And then long-term residents never budge anywhere. And if you interview, and every once in a while the media will interview them, how could you not have left town? How could you have not boarded up your house? They will always tell you the same thing. Look, if it happens, it happens. There's nothing I can do. Uh, but there's a very small chance. And one thing I know for sure is I can't trust anything in the media. These, these weather models are inaccurate. And I'm way better off to taking upon the risks myself than uh, dealing with this hurricane. And if I, if I get washed away, that's the price I pay. But at least I will have lived a good life and I live, live a free life. So th- th- there's an analogy there, I think. Yeah. I think the next time yeah. around, uh, but even look what's happening now. I mean, like every single day, you know, like I don't watch television, God knows. But uh, my understanding from people who do is that every time we turn on television, they're screaming new cases, new cases, new cases. And so, I'd like, and even at this point, I think people have just lost lost all interest in it. You know, it's just. And, and so, in fact, uh, uh, I had uh, uh, young people whose minds are really um, adaptive um, and are able to let go of things really quickly. Um, write me and say, can, can you stop talking about the coronavirus? I'm so over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's encouraging. Yeah. Wow. Um, I have a bunch more questions I want to ask you. We'll have to do it a different time. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. And um, any any parting words of encouragement for, for those of us who want to, uh, I don't know, want to encourage think, people to. I, I, th- I think, I think. We all long. We all long for freedom, and we all long for stability, and we all long for peace and the good life again. And there would have been better paths to get there than the one we're choosing right now. Um, but I still think that if we keep speaking out and we keep saying what's true, we can help build that future that that we want. And I think our voices have never been more necessary. So I'm grateful to you. Um, I get interview requests all day long. Um, I ignore almost all of them. But when I get one from you, I'm all over it. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Okay, well, you're going to be getting more from me in the future. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.